Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is A Lie in the Sand by Devin Miller. Devin Miller is a queer, genderqueer cyborg and lifelong denizen of Seattle, with a love of muddy beaches to show for it. When not writing, they enjoy propagating houseplants, starting craft projects, and performing dairy alchemy. They are assisted in these endeavors by a cat named Oolong Kitty. Find them on Twitter at DevZMiller. That's D-E-V-Z-M-I-L-L-E-R. Let's jump in. The trees at the edge of the beach lean away from the water. They could have been blown back by a powerful sea wind, but Hayworth is certain the trees are simply trying to get as far from the beach as possible. She wants to lean back too. What the fuck is this? Hayworth asks. Her breath mists in the damp, cold air. They could have been on the ship home to Tirakal by now. Aristalo, hands in her pockets, surveys the beach calmly. Hayworth's boss is maybe 50, unconfirmed since she's not the kind of person you can ask to tell you their age, and being a traveling bard that long is a surefire way to become unflappable. It's a beach full of sandcastles, she answers. Watch your language. Hayworth, about to call profanity-prone Aristalo out on her massive hypocrisy, looks back at the beach and crosses her arms instead. Fog billows over the water, thick and gray, but it does not touch the land. As far as they can see along the beach, the sand is formed into shapes that could, if you happen to be a connoisseur of the understatement, be called sandcastles. They're nothing like the sandcastles Hayworth's younger cousins used to make. They're as tall as Hayworth, and Hayworth is five inches taller than Aristalo. An unbroken line of walls marks the border of the sand city. She can hardly see the water's edge past the densely built towers and battlements, despite the slope of the beach. The dark gray sand looks so solid that it's hard to imagine the incoming tide washing the castles away. They are definitely magical, or supernatural, or at the very least uncanny. There is something threatening about the sand castles. It's what makes Hayworth want to back away, what makes her think the trees are leaning away from the beach and not the wind. Maybe it's the stillness, maybe the empty windows in the sand walls. Are they haunted or what? Hayworth asks. She's encountered hauntings before in her apprenticeship, mostly at a distance. Aristalo seems to think Hayworth is too green to deal with the uncanny shit. The closest she's gotten was dealing with the suspiciously sentient library's opinions about which story she told the citizens of Diosco. Aristalo hmms and slings her pack off her back. She rummages around in the outer pocket and pulls out a blue knit hat, which she jams over her close-cropped gray hair. Where did you get that hat? Hayworth demands, distracted. Aristalo grins a dirty little grin. The waitress at the pub in Imbricata gave it to me. Impressed, Hayworth subsides. How is it that this cranky, butch old lady gets pretty women giving her knitwear all the time? Is this a skill Hayworth can apprentice herself to like the storytelling and singing? Hayworth doesn't really like hats, but still, it'd be nice to get the occasional scarf as a memento. She could use a scarf right now. The air off the water is heavy with cold, the leaves on the trees frozen crisp. Why are we here? Hayworth asks. 
we could have gone straight to the ship with Captain Satosa. He's an old friend of Aristolo's from the last time she visited Imbricata, and he's agreed to take them to Tiracol, Hayworth's home, which she hasn't been to in two years, which she could be getting to sooner if Aristolo hadn't insisted on this little detour. As much as Hayworth likes and respects her boss, sometimes she wants to shove Aristolo overboard. She can swim, she'd be fine. She just deserves a good dunking. He's picking us up here. The ship's out in that fog somewhere. Er, picking us up how? There's no path through. Your turn. Aristolo puts her pack back on and gestures for Hayworth to go ahead. Figure out how to get us to the water. Hayworth groans internally. Of course this is a test. Aristolo loves tests, especially when they're mildly life-threatening. The castles are tall enough that climbing across would be a pain in the ass, and there's no way Aristolo would do it, so that can't be the answer. Hayworth tugs her collar up around her neck and frowns. Maybe this is why Aristolo is cranky all the time. The bard she apprenticed to probably made her do shit like this, and now she's passing it on. Actually, Hayworth realizes, that might be exactly what's happening. Captain Satosa had obviously known Aristolo a very long time, long enough that she could have first visited this region and encountered the sandcastles as a young apprentice. Could they ram their way through? Hayworth looks around at the trees. If she got a branch big enough, maybe she could use it to shove sand aside and clear a path, but she isn't sure she could break off a branch that would be strong enough to do the job. And anyway, there's nothing normal about a beach full of gigantic sandcastles. A normal solution like shoving sand aside isn't going to cut it. Tentatively, Hayworth steps up to the border of the sand city and peers over the wall. She half expects to find the city occupied by hermit crabs or sea turtles or something, but the courtyard below is empty. It has an odd floral scent, mixing unpleasantly with the scent of salt water. There's no way any flowers are blooming in this cold. Hayworth reaches out and shoves one of the conical sand towers with both hands, just to see what will happen. The sand shoves back. She stumbles, loses her footing in the loose sand, and sits down hard on her ass. The sensation of the shove, not quite like hands, lingers in her shoulders. Aristolo snickers. You asked for that. Hayworth glares and dusts off her hands, then gets up and dusts off the seat of her pants. She knows better than to push Aristolo, but still she says, We have to do this now. Just for once we can't take the direct path so I can see my family sooner. Aunt Deline is probably already baking fish cakes. Aristolo makes a face about the fish cakes, but she doesn't chide Hayworth for trying to get out of this test. You've done four years of your apprenticeship, she says. The way one might say, you've done four years of your six-year prison sentence. And you've got the skills. Wouldn't you like to be able to tell your cousins the story of the time you handled the beach full of spooky sandcastles? Huh. All right. Yeah, Hayworth does want to tell that story. She grew up telling her cousins stories, when they were little and sad, because the Tiracali kids all thought they were too weird to play with, with their Baselbin food and Baselbin family. It's how she got the itch for bardcraft, what led her to her apprenticeship with Aristolo. And she mostly made up the stories she told her cousins. It would be novel to tell them a true story about how awesome she is. Damn Aristolo for knowing which carrot to dangle in front of her. Aristolo said she has the skills, 
that suggests that somehow crossing the Sandcastle City is a problem to which Hayworth can apply the skills she's learned during her apprenticeship. She's an apprentice bard, though. Maybe if she plays the hand drum just right, the sound waves will cause the castles to spontaneously fall down? Using brute force is clearly out of the question, so she can't use the loot as a sand shovel. The tower she shoved looks totally unaffected. But destruction is the wrong approach anyway, she realizes. You could tell a great story about someone fighting their way through a bunch of uncanny sandcastles, but it's not the story you'd tell about a bard. Hayworth edges back up to the sand wall and begins walking along it. Partly she's looking for clues, partly she just wants to get away from Aristotle's amused face for a couple of minutes. Four years of travel with the same aggravating woman, no matter how educational and often fun, requires taking breaks. The sand this side of the city is loose enough her boots sink in. Walking through it is a slog. Sand is such bullshit, she thinks. She walks far enough to be out of earshot if Aristalo decides to shout at her and stops to look at the sandcastles. If she weren't cold and annoyed, she'd appreciate how beautiful they are. Yes, there's something creepy about them, but they're beautiful too. They have not been decorated with shells and stones and fronds of seaweed like a child's sandcastle. Now that she's paying more attention, she can see the precise way the roofs of the towers are carved to look like tile. The cathedral-esque domes are etched with floral patterns. Some of the crenellated walls look like they're built of regular stone blocks. The windows are shaped into graceful arches. Hayworth wonders if the castles have an inside. The windows are real openings, but you can't see far enough in to tell whether they're just tunnels that don't go anywhere, or whether the insides of the castles have been carved out just as realistically as the outsides. They make Hayworth feel twitchy, as if she's waiting for something, expecting the castles to do something. Somehow, they look like they could do something, and she doesn't want to find out what. No matter how beautiful the sand castles are, she wants to run far away from them. Even the trees want to run away from them, and are only prevented by their roots. But the different grains of sand in Hayworth's brain come together, forming a shape that should be less surprising than it is. Aunt Deline's fish cakes, the kids who wouldn't play with her and her cousins, the way her dad genuinely listens even to people he thinks are talking nonsense. So many people in To Recall treat her Beselbin family like they're about to do something horrible. And here she is treating these sandcastles the same way. For all she knows, it's not their fault she finds them creepy. She thinks about her dad, curious even about people who hate him, and decides that if she's going to tell a story about this, She'd rather be the curious kind of protagonist than the kind who fights her way through. Then, there's an unexpected flicker of movement, and suddenly Hayworth figures out why she finds the sandcastles creepy. She turns and tromps back through the sand to Aristalo, who has pulled a piece of dried pork out of her pack and is gnawing on it contemplatively. They're looking at us, Hayworth says. The windows are eyes. Huh, Aristalo says. She probably knew that already. They look at the castles. The windows look back, empty but seeing. Experimentally, Hayworth takes several steps to her left. Almost imperceptibly, the windows angle themselves to follow her. She steps back to Aristalo. They know we're here, Hayworth says, thinking out loud, even though she knows Aristalo isn't going to tell her if she's on the right track. 
we could stop them from seeing us, distract them, maybe we could get through. She crosses her arms and wrinkles her nose while she thinks. How do you stop a window from seeing? Curtains? Aristotelus suggests. There's no way that's the real answer. Hayworth ignores it. The wind blows down the length of the beach, not disturbing the tightly packed sand of the city, but whistling through its streets. The fog is still heavy over the water, and Hayworth still wishes she had a scarf. The interesting thing about being a bard is that when you're telling a story, you're the center of attention. You have an audience, and everyone is listening to your voice. If you're just an ordinary bard, they're also watching your face, your hands, wondering whether your story is true. But if you're a really good bard, they don't see you at all. It doesn't matter if the story is a lie. They see the truth of it, as if it's alive and colorful around them. You can walk through an audience, borrow their belongings for props, and they make room for you without even noticing you've stolen their hats and knives. Hayworth isn't sure she's a really good bard yet. Aristolo is, though. Sometimes that makes it difficult to learn from her. Hayworth gets so pulled into a story that she can't see Aristolo's technique. Do the sandcastles have ears? Bananas! Hayworth shouts experimentally. Shit! Aristolo swears. Warn a person. But Aristolo isn't the only one who's startled by the shout. The sandcastles have, very slightly, twitched. That means that if Hayworth or Aristolo tells a story, the sandcastles will hear it. There's no telling whether they'll understand it, but at least they'll hear it. So this is worth a shot. Will you tell the story about Opalina in the Forest of Canaries? Hayworth asks. Aristolo squints at her from under the blue hat, and after a moment, grins hugely. Huh, maybe that's why women give her knitwear. Nah, she says. You tell it. But, Hayworth protests, for this to work, a really good bard has to tell the story. Not that she doesn't like the idea of telling it herself and being the hero of the tale she's going to tell her cousins about this. So, we'll find out if you're a really good bard. If you're not, I'll take over. I'm a fantastic bard. Underneath the swagger, there's a well-hidden little compliment. Aristolo thinks Hayworth might already be a really good bard. That lights a warm glow in Hayworth's stomach. She refuses to make it weird by calling attention to it, though. Hayworth takes a deep breath and rolls her shoulders back. She's told this story before, once, but she was pretty new to storytelling then and she was telling it to a bunch of eight-year-olds. But she chose this tale for a reason. It's good. People listen to it even if the teller isn't any good. In the right hands, surely it's the tool Hayworth needs. When Hayworth opens her mouth again, her voice carries. It expands down the beach, cutting through the whistling of the wind. If you've never heard the story of Opalina and the Forest of Canaries, she begins, you're in for a treat. She steps closer to the sandcastles and lets her voice reach out to them, lets herself disappear behind the story. Once, long ago, there was a spinster named Opalina. At first, she isn't sure whether the story is having any effect. The sandcastles haven't shifted towards her voice the way they did to watch her move back and forth, but there is an alertness to them, a silence that could be listening. Hayworth speaks through the strange floral scent that fills her mouth, through the discomfort of thousands of window eyes. And, 
When she reaches the part about Opalina finding the library in the forest, a few of the windows Iris shut. Startled, Hayworth injects a little more certainty into her voice, a little more confidence. She recognizes the way some people close their eyes when they're listening, seeing the story more clearly in their mind's eye. As if she's stepping into an audience's midst, she steps up to the wall of the sandcastle city. Much like a human audience, the sand begins to crumble and reshape itself, falling into the story. Where there were walls, towers, sand cathedrals, suddenly there's a road. It's narrow, better built for Hayworth's skinny frame than Aristotle's sturdy one. Hayworth will hear about this later. The sand redistributes itself, forms new ramparts and domes along the sides of this road. Still regaling the beach with Opalina's adventures, describing the brilliant yellow feathers of the canaries, Hayworth steps onto the road. It's a long slope down to the water. She assumes Aristotle is following, but if she looks back to check, she'll lose the train of the story. She's afraid that if she stops talking halfway down the sand road, it will close around her, burying her in sand and trapping her there. But she has no real reason to think the sandcastles are that hostile. She knows firsthand how it feels to be feared, simply for being unfamiliar, and keeps talking. Hayworth doesn't remember Opalina having so many adventures. Surely this story took less time to tell, even with the interruptions of noisy children. But telling it becomes easy. She's pulled into the story herself, forgetting her discomfort. By the time Opalina is on the road home to her cozy house on the town high street, Hayworth is nearly at the end of her own road. Finally, she steps past the last sandcastle and onto a narrow strip of wet sand. Gentle waves knit a tangle of kelp at the water's edge. She keeps talking, telling about the lost cat who has come to welcome Opalina home. At last, she turns to look back at the city. Aristalo steps off the road, grinning and holding her pack in front of her so it doesn't bump the sand. And that, Hayworth says, is the end of Opalina's story. The closed windows wink open, as if realizing they've been duped. The sandcastles twitch and the road is destroyed, covered over with walls of sand as it was before. The way back is shut now. Captain Satosa had better show up soon. Weirdly exhausted, Hayworth looks at Aristalo. What the fuck? She says with feeling. Aristalo doesn't admonish her this time, maybe because she's proven she's a really good bard. Now she can say what she likes. Look, here's Satosa. Aristotle says. Hayworth turns and sees a low rowboat gliding toward them from the depths of the fog. The flamboyant green-coated sailor from Imbricata is at the oars. The nose of the boat meets the sand, and Captain Satosa ships the oars and jumps out onto the beach. Hello, he says. He sniffs the air, looking around at the sandcastles. Smells like flowers. Must be a lot of people bringing offerings for passage lately. Hayworth's mouth falls open. She turns to Aristalo and asks through gritted teeth, Is he saying we could have just brought some nice flowers and the sandcastles would have let us down the beach? Aristalo snickers and claps Hayworth on the shoulder. Sure, but maybe the sandcastles liked your offering better. So they opened the road because I offered them a story? Not because I'm such a good bard I made them forget I was there? You got a new story out of it either way, didn't you? Aristalo says. 
learn something about how to deal with weird phenomena, and, you know, they don't shut their eyes to listen to just anyone. That's true, Captain Satosa says. They're picky about stories. The sandcastles are. They didn't shut their eyes for Aristalo's story. Hayworth's eyes go wide. Aristalo punches Captain Satosa on the shoulder and says, Shut up. I was young. Get in the boat, kid. Hayworth does. That was A Lie in the Sand by Devin Miller. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or, better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.com.